Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Supported by NoPin, suppliers of cycling, running, triathlon and duathlon clothing, speed pockets, ATS trip suits and trip socks. Visit nopins.com. And supported by southforkracing.co.uk for all your biking needs, the great brands such as Scott, Empower, Fast Forward, GoPro, Lightweight, Garmin, Powerbar, and loads of others. Visit safeforkracing.co.uk. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. This is the 143rd episode for January 2016. I'm Coach Joe Beer and I'm joined today by Crocker of Southfort Racing at Southfort Racing and thanks to Southfort Racing. We're here again. We are here again. We have 49 rankings wow. at iTunes. 42 of them are five stars. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Uh, 34 reviews, and the latest one is from uh, Martin K.S., and he said... Sorry, you can't read the laptop. <laughs> I've listened to a number of training and triathlon-related podcasts, and J- JBST is one of very few that I listen to every single episode. Joe and Martin cut through the nonsense and give consistent and easy-to-follow advice on training and racing. Uh, direct responses to questions from listeners with some fun chat along the way without getting too geeky. Very enjoyable. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you, uh, Martin KS. <clears throat> I was trying to work out, do I know Martin KS? But I don't know a Martin KS, so um, it's not you, is it? <laughs> no, it's not me. <laughs> it's not you. No. Like, otherwise, it would have been a bit more about, oh, isn't Crocker good? Yeah, that's really. <laughs> Apparently, he sounds really good looking. <laughs> Supposedly. Um, so that's a five star, and, he, and he's called it Great Podcast. So thank you very much. Um, that was... That was uh, just before, well, it was actually near the end of uh, 2015. So thanks for that, um, for that review. It's nice to have your reviews. It's just nice for people sometimes to contact or to just, um, in passing sometimes at different places and seeing different people say, oh, I really like the podcast. Great. That's why we're sat here. That's why we like your questions. That's why it's um, good to, uh, I think, put, um, put uh, not theory into practice, just put some of the questions out there, some of our thoughts. And right now, What's going on in the, the world of Crocker? Um, not... Well, don't say graphene, don't say chains, and don't say marginal gains. Okay. Um, nothing then. <laughs> no, not really. I've um, been doing quite a few bike fits, uh, which kind of now is the time to get, uh, get the bike fits done, uh, especially if you're heading into the, in the winter or now quite a big block of training. Um, yeah, so we've been doing a lot of that. Um, we've got, we got to see a few things that have been, that have been in the media for a long time, but no one's actually seen any, um, kind of, I say physical evidence, but just, you know, something you can uh, grab hold of, you can touch and play with, like, um, electronic gears so you know wireless gears so SRAM have got their e-tap coming out so we're uh, we've been been able to have a a little uh, butchers at all that so have you, have you seen it working i i haven't seen it working on a bike right um but i've seen bits and bobs of mm. different other things so yeah so, so, so that stuff's all, all about to land pretty much within the next 
couple of days, I should think. A couple of days or a couple of weeks, I think it might be. So I think it was planned to be at the end of Jan, so it might have been brought forward a little bit. Okay. So, yeah, little things like that. Um, other than that, just kind of the, the standard things. We've had a bit more uh, information from InfoCrank as well. So just been looking at bits and bobs to do with to do with that. Um, other than that, it's kind of, it'll be pretty quiet now until kind of Feb and then it all goes bonkers. So all the, the, the new kit then is in store and ready to go. Yeah. So, yeah. I think this, this, is the, this is the back to it first few weeks, isn't it? That um, I noticed people getting into their regime of training. Okay, when you listen to this, it might be mid or even uh, end of January. And, you know, by then you're sort of into the, uh, into the swing of a, of a new year. Uh, might be resolutions, might be great goals, might be business as usual, or might be complete change that you're going off in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few guys that I've spoken to. I, I mean, I, I know we all harper on about the weather. You know, I, I've got to the stage now, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you either go out in it, or you just accept that, you know, you're going to get cold and wet, or you don't go out in it and turbo train and you know whether that's detrimental to your to your training or better because it's a little bit more focused more controlled than you know we, we to see but I, I mean i've had a lot of guys that have just just pretty much had enough of for instance just with mountain biking and just had enough of the wet conditions and you know it's not just training in the wet and the dirt which you do expect from mountain biking it's kind of every session which kind of takes mm. its toll on kit takes yeah. its toll on you um and sometimes they you know some people have just had enough's enough and are either gone away if they can afford to, to uh, sunnier climbs to get a, a week or two weeks of training in or um they've kind of just for the time being just gone oh, i've had enough i'm just going to jack it for a little bit and you know rest up a little um and then just do the bare bare minimum and then catch back up if they have to mm. so but but yeah it's, it's a difficult one this time of year so once we've come out of uh Christmas and New Year, it kind of, uh, the year starts at a gallop. So, um, yeah, hopefully the, uh, the weather situation improves. Talking of a gallop and cracking on, should we do a question? Let's do it. Okay, this came, uh, actually came by email the other day. So it's quite uh, relevant. And it says, um, hi, John Cocker, question or two. What training advice, uh, what training advice out of all I read, is valid for the more rotund cyclists. I know we all need to lose some uh, after Christmas, but I'm talking your average cyclist who shoehorns themselves into Lycra before every ride and who has a heart rate of 135 getting out of bed. You talk about hard, medium, easy efforts, but my Sunday ride pace, keeping up with the group on my, on my new power meter, has me at 230 watts, which seems excessive to keep up with the Sunday ride. Um, 150 to 170 heart rate on the flat. Uh, add some hills and everything becomes unsustainable and I soon back off. Uh, sorry, I'm soon off the back. Today's ride was nearly four hours. I thought it was hard and I was pretty toast at the end. But speaking to the other rider, their heart rate was only 130 against my 175. Am I just the most unfit cyclist? I only had two weeks off over Crimbo, haha. Uh, for reference, they're 12 stone and I'm 16 stone. Does weight play a, a part both on the flat and on the hills? And does, does normal training really apply? Isn't every ride I do classed as an interval session every time I hit even a molehill? Um, here's a link to today's ride. So there was a ride there. Um, regards, keep up the great podcast, Richard Young. So I suppose we've got several things here, haven't we? We've got the, the rider who's 
says even in you know, I look I look between the lines and he says um, uh, my Sunday ride pace keeping up with the group so that suggests you aren't going out at your pace which if we go out on our own and we haven't got a rush to get somewhere we can do it at our pace but if you go out with a group and it says keeping up with it um, yes you're holding 230 watts which um, I would say uh, if you've done 230 watts and that was for the four-hour ride that's a pretty stiff effort, particularly if you, um, you might be quite powerful, but you've got to have a pretty good engine for 230 watts for four hours to actually be steady. And I reckon you'd have to be over 430, 440 watts for that to be a steady four hours. What it sounds like is that you've gone out and you, particularly with a heart rate of 150, 170, and you've basically been close to flat out the entire time. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you have to back off. So you probably haven't done that. After a while, you haven't done 230, you've dropped off, the heart rate's dropped off and you've gone, um, you know, sod this for Game of Soldiers and uh, dropped off. And it was nearly four hours um, and you were pretty toast at the end. And of course, um, it's, uh, it's a training ride. I mean, it's a Sunday ride, but it's meant to be training. And by the sounds of it, he's doing a race. But also this other person, yeah, their heart rate 130 sounds like they are in zone one even for somebody with a low heart rate that sounds like they're in zone one um and so there's various things are you most unfit cyclist no you just may be less fit than the people that you currently ride with um only had two weeks off even so that isn't the effect that you get from two weeks off that's actually training outside of your um sustainable bracket and therefore you go pop um, and also, yes, if you're 16 stone, you will find that hills are straight away more demanding. Even if you've got more power, there's still not more, more, more power. The 16 stone won't be 16 stone in your legs. You know, it won't be that you've got the biggest legs in the world to generate, um, you know, Miguel Indurane type power. And you say, yeah, I can do 230 and basically I'm fine. So I think it's a combination of things. But Richard, you probably want to ride with people. So you have to work out who you're going to ride with, where you're going to ride. Um... And what is your peak power and your peak heart rate? So you can actually go from your numbers backwards and say, what sort of heart rate should I be not exceeding too often? And what sort of power should I average most of my rides? Yeah? Yeah, so from Richard's point of view then, instead of hit the poor chap having to go out and ride on his own, you know, which is, is probably a, it is an option. It is an option to go and do it, but a lot of us do cycling. We've met a lot of people through cycling, and it is, yeah. it is pretty sociable to, to do. I mean, is it a question of him kind of just for the time being, till he gets his kind of base fitness up? You know, is it a case own. of riding on his own well within his, his kind of... Um, well within his zones, as we, keep, as we keep going on about? Or is it a case that if he still wants to ride with the group, would the group be prepared to, if he's going at his pace and then catching back up, do you think the group, it would be acceptable to kind of uh, the group to wait for him? I mean, mm. is it... Depends on the size, yeah. size of the group, doesn't it, really? Yeah. And, how, and yeah. how, how organised and how, how well do the groups want to work for everybody or just want to work for, you know, the fit majority and everybody else has got to make it up as they go along? Because yeah. ironically, some people, the moment that option's there, will say... Brilliant. Do you know what? I've really thought we should have a second group because I cling on every Sunday. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely wrecked come Monday and I had a conversation with somebody today that that was the case that they said, wow, it was such a hard ride. And Monday, Tuesday, my other training 
definitely was detrimentally affected. And we could see it in the numbers and say it was just too hard. Do you think this is kind of, uh, without kind of splitting a male-female, do you think this is a bloke thing? Do you think it's kind of, blokes are a bit scared to go, oh, it's too hard for me, I want to yeah. back off. And, and, and there's, plenty of, there's plenty of, you know, hardcore female cyclists. I've had plenty of them where you've still got a slow... Um, them down <laughs> and so I don't you know I think it is it is more likely that it is a male thing and of course people think um, either a you know it's a bit weak to sort of say slow up um, or b well if I ride hard enough I'm sure I'll be able to eventually get as good as these yes. people yeah, yeah, well the other no thing, yeah. the, you know the numbers are the numbers you you may um, Richard find that you um, you could go faster if you uh, reduced weight and wanted to do that. It's not a it's not a definite. You might just say, "I'm happy with how I am. I don't need to climb out doors, but I'd like to be fitter." In which case, you probably need to do more base miles and not stress your body because there is the factor of how hard you're pushing your body. You know, that's that's me starting off a four-hour ride with a 10-mile time trial and then trying to keep going is how I would look at it physiologically. That's not good for your body. It's certainly not good if you are um, perhaps somebody that's um, been fit but knows that deep down they actually need to get really fit by going back to basics. And that often means base training, eating well, and really letting yourself feel in every few weeks do you know what I'm, I'm feeling better for this and of course that Sunday if you um, you know pretty much are toast at the end that's not the definition of a good ride and I have to say mm. this time and time again to people just because you're absolutely smacked to the ground by a ride if it's not meant to be you know you didn't say you know four hour sportive or four hour time trial it was four hour training ride and for you it is too hard and I think I think Crocky, you hit the nail on the head. To have the option to, you know, to, to split a group or to see other people that might be in a similar boat, or to get other people that, um, you know, people have posted things sometimes in shops or online, and suddenly they get a load of other mates saying, "Oh, I'd love to do that." Yeah, because that other lot goes so hard, I'm never going to keep up with them. And of course, if if somebody's relatively fit and fast, they don't know that what they're doing is blowing you apart. I mean, people should get a clue because we can all work that one out if we want to. Some people will quite ignore it or say, well, this is the speed you've got to keep up. And, and some of that needs to change because there are plenty of groups that the, the quality of the people's um, knowledge of the sport and even the experience they could pass on is actually being diluted by the fact that there's too much ego about how fast they go on that particular ride. And I think it's really important to make sure that... Um, yeah, that you you kind of you you perhaps even nurture your own um, what's the word your own group of people that want to work at your rate. And it's not a splinter group, you know. You're not trying oh, to form no. another club. No. You know, you you still want to kind of ride with with people like-minded people. Um, but what I what I do like about this this question is it, it again it brings into uh, brings into view that you know cycling. Cycling is viewed as, you know, the, the tall, skin, skinny people out, out doing it. But I like the fact that any shape, size of person can bike, ride, can do mm -hmm. triathlon, you know, um, any age. It's, it's fantastic. And I think setting yourself up for a kick in only means then that you get disheartened with it. Um, yeah. the, the one thing that actually that, that Richard hasn't said is that, you know, he's, he's aiming uh, ultimately to... to lose weight etc etc just by the sounds of of what we've read here he really enjoys his bike riding yeah um 
and kind of wants to get better at it and ultimately yes if you're able to to shed a little bit of weight it naturally kind of lends itself for you to be it easier uphill everybody says it's easier uphill it's not because all you end up doing is going harder up the hill but it seems yeah easier but you're not you're going faster again so you've got the op- you've got the option to go faster or to take it easier yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> I, I i like that question with the fact that it paints a, a, a brilliant picture of uh, of the most of the sports that we love and enjoy and uh, and it should be enjoyed for everybody no matter shape or form yeah and i think you know as he said does weight play a part? Yes, it does. You know, especially uphill. That's why mm. power to weight is obsessed with in um, in sort in of road terms, cycling, yeah. where they're looking for you know the magic six watts per kilo. But also, um, you know, isn't every ride I do classed as an interval session every time I hit even a molehill? And and yeah, if you haven't got um, enough uh, power to weight, then the very slightest of hills can generate. A challenge which somebody with, um, I'd have to think of the numbers off the top of my head, but somebody with a max power of uh, something in excess of five watts a kilo will be able to go up um, four, five, six, seven, even possibly eight percent hills and actually be pretty good at just, no, they don't, they don't, they don't um, fail to slow down, but they go up at a quicker rate than somebody that's only got let's say four watts per kilo at maximum and therefore the the physics is such that you just can't keep up with that person or if you can they're steady you're at threshold or over threshold you go pop because it's a long hill and they just keep going and think how can they do that and there's there's a you know a different level of ability between lots of people but it should never be thought that you know anyone should have to hammer themselves to keep up with a group or to somehow make themselves better by just pushing themselves really hard because otherwise every time you get on your bike Richard it's it's not going to be necessarily enjoyable you go to the point where you have to slow down and then you maybe you know then end up enjoying it because you're not then being pressured by people because they've disappeared into the distance but if you started with people being um, at or around your level or some of the people that could be faster but want to have a you know an easier more sociable ride which is is good for them as it is for you because they're not then pushing one another to end up making their ride too fast and you can ride at, at you know at quite low heart rates get a lot of benefit from it and that person gains from it you can ride with people with more experience you can certainly therefore ride with different people and should never be that people say i have to ride at x miles an hour or it's a waste of time um i saw a picture the other day pro team one ride on front one rider behind rider behind had a mini parachute off their back great way of getting a you know a, a, a kind of a weaker rider in the front maybe taking a bit of the wind or working out what to do but the stronger riders sat behind actually being held back by the parachute so they have to work yeah obviously you don't want to slow down because the parachute drops down and lands on your back wheel <laughs> um and i thought you know got to get that one right you have to probably chuck it out like a parachute until you get enough resistance on it but people who are stronger can take you know more of the um particularly with some of these good like um like proper biking, really snug, um, like backpacks, throw all the tools in. You know, the people that have got less fitness don't carry all the tools and the person that's yeah. fitter does. And the person that's fitter is on a, you know, a slightly more, you know, comfortable, fatter, tired type bike. There's, there's loads of ways that people can ride together. And, and it's a shame if people sort of think, oh, I'm not good enough to go with them. Or that people that are fast don't sometimes appreciate that, they're missing what I found is sometimes people that are always fast, it's only about that. Yeah. And and as you go further down the categories of rider, you get people that've got 
often a lot more or more more interesting things that aren't just about how many watts is your FTP, etc., etc. But also their interests and their job and what how they find themselves on the bike is really interesting. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And uh, funny enough, it, with a few clubs, they've got a lot of old pros. And when I mean old pros, I don't mean that as in age old, but some of them have been there and done it, yeah. if you know what I mean. Some are, you know. Um, you know, you've got the 60, 70-year-olds that, that have been bashing more miles than you could ever imagine than any of the cars you've owned. Yeah. Um, and you've got some of the, the, the younger guys that, that were, were pretty good that may be coming back into the sport or, um, I don't know, maybe maybe the fitness has tailed off because of illness or anything like that. And you can actually learn quite a bit from, from that. But don't don't be offended to go, look, guys, I'm not going out today because it's just too hard for me. But by the looks of it, Richard, you're heading in the right direction because A, you know your weight, B, you know kind of you've got your heart rate going, you've got your power going as well. So armed with that information, you can only ever get better from that depending on how you choose to use it. So, yeah. And we were just be. going to bring up um, <clears throat> his, uh, see if we can do it in real time, bring up his um, uh, Garmin Connect uh, file. Though it looks like. Um, well, funny enough, I saw um, I saw on Twitter, I think it was today, one of the pro guys keeps putting a snapshot of his training rides. Right. And I can't remember whether it's one of the the Garmin Cannondale guys. I'm, I can't remember. Or it might have been Ben King or, or, or one of those guys, one of the American guys. And um, basically, had done uh, five hours training and averaged 280 watts on that. So, you know, you kind of, that puts it into perspective a little bit, kind of. Uh, yeah, and two, 280, if you've got, you know, a peak power of, you know, quite often something in the region of 520, yeah, 55%, which is upper end of what you would, you know, associate with uh, what they tolerate. But this is, um, we're looking at his, um, we won't say where it is, but his, his bike ride. And, um, you know, to some extent, yeah, you've got, you've got an average speed, you've got a, uh well average temperature three degrees you got it worse than we have um but you know you're looking at heart rates and there's you know routinely stuff that's you know in the 177s we don't know what richard's max is but just from his perception of effort and what he's said um it's taken in terms of um effort um though you can never you know it's, it's not a lie detector because we don't really know to what extent um the the session is based on the terrain, based on the speed, but 192 watts and the actual um, heart rate is 160. Now, over that sort of duration, four hours, I wouldn't imagine somebody is going to do much more um, than just about end up, you know, averaging just into zone two, because otherwise it will, you know, it will be a, a phenomenal effort. So probably, you know, that puts, if he's 159, then maybe his max heart rate is somewhere um, about 180, 185, maybe a little bit higher. But if we're seeing that he's, he's hitting, um, you know, he's hitting 180s, then maybe it's 190. But 190 would mean that his maximum zone one is about 155 and he's averaging 159 so he is averaging into zone two so a lot of the ride even though it takes a while for the heart rate to go up once he starts hitting it and this is what you see you know you get a 174 blip and then a few minutes later you get a 180 then you get another one a few minutes later another 180 and there's this constant um effort and I'm sure at that point in time, we have got um, powers, you know, power levels that are 180 watts, 
he's um, you know he's doing something where it spikes up to 400. But the average of a 192 watts is okay. But he's come away and said he's felt toast. So clearly that is over what we are looking for, which is if you're trying to build fitness and if you're not actually doing a short sustainable interval program, most base rides have to be sort of doable. There could be an element of fatigue, but he's almost saying he has to go until he goes pop and then, you know, has to, um, unsustainable and I'm, I'm soon backing off. So you kind of look at this and you see the back end of here, there's a lot less. There's a, you know, a, a so kind of almost like a, a warm up part to the run and then pretty much from about 50 minutes through to a point, you know, two, two and a bit hours, and then it starts dropping. And then there's a lot lower heart rates in the second part. There's, um, uh, you know, there's a there's um, lower heart rates and power. Uh, and you see, and this is always a telltale sign, you see a lot more, as time goes on, a lot more coasts. Yeah. So he's coasting, and if you're coasting, you're trying to save energy. Early on, he's riding constantly. There's very few white specks. Later on, there's constant coasting. And and yet, if you've if you've gone off the back, you're probably no longer actually riding. You might be riding behind one person who's stayed back for you, but it often shows that people are beginning to just look for ways to save energy. Their legs are tired, and the average cadence over that second half of the of the ride is less, the average heart rate is less, so you've just gone pop. And it's not, oh, this is what you have to do. You definitely have to do this. Um, it's quite balanced, 49.51 in terms of the balance on the, uh, uh, what would you call it, on the left-right balance. Uh, but without knowing your maximums in both heart rate and in power, I'm, I'm guessing you've hit a 186 max, so maybe you've got something into the 190s. That would put your top of zone one about 155, but there was a heck of a lot of time over 155, and hence why you've gone pop. Um, but also, you've finished toast, and to do a four-hour ride, you're better to go into it and say, do you know what, I finished all right. Four hours is going to tire anybody bar pro used to riding four hours all the time, but I think we have to make very sure that Richard realises this isn't how you get better, and it isn't the people that are out there are the ones that have survived this and just kept going. They've probably got more watts per kilo, They've probably been able to, therefore, come away from rides with a greater proportion in zone one. Therefore, they want to go back and do it again. Oh, that's good. That's a good question. Good question. And, and, and you know, I, I don't want people to stop competing, but to try and ride with people for four hours that, that have got more watts or don't protect you as well or maybe aren't aware that you're working quite so hard, that is um, not the way to either... Um, garner great relationships within cycle groups or to actually encourage or be encouraged to keep riding because it's just hard work yeah. I mean that's a, that's a sportif he's done right there and, and, and come away toast which is fine if that's an occasional but it sounds like he's getting back to fitness and you don't want that to be what you think you have to put up with and think I can't do this weekend but I reckon I can psych myself up for next weekend and he's, he's doing a race every other yeah, weekend yeah, yeah. and, and, and the, the fact that you enjoy your bike riding Richard, you know, you, you should still enjoy to go out and do it. That's that's the thing. You don't want to set yourself for the kicking, get a kicking, come back, and then say, for instance, this is on a Saturday, and you think, I can't do anything Sunday because I'm absolutely shattered, and they end up at work on Monday being, you know, kind of blown to the, blown to the wind with it all. But, you know, may, maybe it's nice to have a test of once a month and go out with these guys but you know if you're able to you know grab grab another cycling group if you pos if possible um 
and go out with those guys and just just have it so you can set yourself your zones um, but you need to you need to set yourself the zones because you've got all the equipment to work with but you don't know it's like having diagnostics for a for a motor engine but not yeah. knowing what the yeah. power of the engine is so you know you need to do your little tests really and just get like a max power uh test or a ramp test um, and then you can work it out a bit more scientifically from there plus you'll be able to see your improvements that you make from that um and that's the biggest difference people know what their max power is but then you know do a couple of months training, go back and retest, and then go, well, yeah, but is that an improvement or not? You know, mm. you can't see your improvements, but, you know, Rich has got all the kit to be able to do that. Um, just needs to make a few adjustments, that's all. So, top notch, that's, that's a good, good question. question. Good yeah. question, that one. Um, next, I wanted to, to do, from our little podcast plan, um, it was not a question, it was something that I'd found, which I'd found and I put in, but I didn't necessarily um, realise that it went on uh, along a similar vein to what we've just done. But I found it very interesting and thought that those that um, are not necessarily going to um, accidentally bumble into this um, bit of research will uh, find it quite interesting that it was looking at the training volume of elite male and female track runners. And it was actually looking at um, their uh, training proportion. Uh, there was some quite amazing data on how fast these athletes were i'll put a link up it is as far as i know um a free uh download so you can actually download it and read it um the the study took in um the preparation period um for marathon runners track runners and you know the marathon runners are running about 186k um uh, uh Day. A week, a day, <laughs> no, a week, and the track runners about 160. Um, but for all runners, 80 plus or minus 5% of weekly training distance, measured in kilometres a week, um, uh, was continuous running with a heart rate of between 65 and 82% of max, so what we call zone one. And the remaining 20% of total volume was performed at intensities near or above the anaerobic threshold. Um, uh, this was done in three to five weekly interval sessions or continuous running sessions. So they had you know, tempo sessions and intervals. Um, they did around 11 to 13 sessions a week. So this is their only sport. So that's roughly um, two sessions a day or two sessions a day and a day off. Sometimes they run three times a day. Um, the training volume in the pre-competition period and the competition season did not differ much. Um, from the volume in the preparation period. So there wasn't a big difference, um, but the track runners increased the amount of high intensity training at the specific race pace in the sort of March, April time um, and in the track competition season in, in May to September. But it goes really in depth to look at the, um, I think to, to look at the, the itty bitty of, you know, this is how, this is what they define as, you know, zone one and any runners blimey, they're running, you know, four minutes a kilometre and it's easily in zone one and some of it's less than that. And you realise, yeah, well, that's what they do because when they're running at, at threshold, their threshold pace is, you know, 12, 13 miles an hour. So, of course, it's a different, it's a different set of characteristics. However, the physiological similarities to other people are such that in order to do what is their job, so they're doing that, you know, if you're running 186K, you know, 120 miles, even if you're running, you know, six minute miles, okay, that's still 20 hours of training. Yeah. Which is a lot for runners. Even marathon runners, that's a lot of runners. 20 hours times six miles. Yeah. So yeah. It's, 
Is, uh, but, but then again, you know, looking at it from the point... What I, I guess the point of this is... Actually, it's, where, less, it's less hours than that. I don't mean maths wrong, but where, anyway. Where they're training, where they're actually training, the zones that they are training in, basically, um, is going... With with the formula, I suppose that everything they're doing is is you know for eighty two percent is just in under you know yeah. their 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 kind of um, you know their their zone one training. So, um, but obviously that's going to increase as the season goes along, I guess. So yeah, and it, but it's it's um, I think the thing is is um, I've got the actual um, PDF here. The the thing with it is that it's another. This was something published uh, published what five years ago in in uh, in two thousand and. Uh, and 13 but you look at their you know their kind of characteristics and they're running you know 3,000 meters the males are running it in under eight minutes you've got um, female 5,000 meter runners clocking sub 16 and you've got uh, male you know male half marathon 103 females 109 110 so you know they're they're not super elite but certainly if you're doing 13 minutes and 14 minutes to 15 minutes for you know, 5K, they are pretty useful. As they said, um, they had completed Olympic Games, World Championships or European Championships. Five of the runners, um, uh, sorry, the, the runners gave their, their um, consent to um, kind of give their, their data. They break it all down. And for them, what they consider to be threshold is, um, yeah, half marathon pace, yeah. you know. So you're, you're talking, you know, just under 13 miles an hour or something around about that. It's certainly... Um, not hanging around by most people's uh, 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 reckoning. The the data when they break it down into the different bits, they look at different. You know, they break it down into every little um, part of the of the uh, week and day. Typical preparation period in. Let's take it now. We're in the you know November to February. 160k of running for the uh, marathoners. 123 of that 160 is easy and moderate continuous pace. So 76% of it. And then 20% is at marathon pace, um, which if you work out for them is again, you know, probably nearer um, to sort of uh, 12 miles an hour or some or there thereabouts for the relative people. And then it drops all the way down and literally, you know, they do 3K, 5K pace, they do about 4K of it a week or about, you know, Two percent, so it's still really, really um, built towards it being very much orientated towards uh, the zone one, and that percentage doesn't change a lot, even with the track runners. They're still doing, um, you know, about 150, certainly 138 to 150 k of their weekly training for. Um, so this is the marathon runners for the marathon runners, still doing about 80 percent. Is in zone one. Yeah. And then you look at the week, Monday morning, 11K continuous. In the evening, uh, you know, 1,000 metre reps at 5 to 7 millimole lactate. So that's, you know, high effort, pace of sub three minutes to uh, one minute recovery, and off you go again. Tuesday, 17K in the morning, 12K um, in the uh, evening. So that is a 29K day split over two sessions. Next day, 10K with, a, with, a, um, with some... Uh, uh, as they call them, elastic leg jumps and, uh, and and jumping kind of drills that they're doing. In the evening, they do sort of um, uh, recoveries with longer distance efforts, but but still they're in a you know a comfortable two to three millimole area. They're not they're not going flat out. Um, 
Thursday, 16K in the morning, 14K in the evening. So it's a 30K wow. day. You know, continuous running, yeah. steady state. And, you know, for them, the continuous running, albeit we don't know, um, you know, that was also done at, at altitude for, for runner A. So for runner A, um, the uh, we don't know the speeds because the speeds are kind of taken together as a whole um, group in terms of what they, you know, what they say is the typical pace. Um, but that's a that's a runner that's running 5k in 13 minutes and they say typically um, low intensity i.e less than two millimoles for their uh, running you know they call it kind of running economy so they're getting better at running economically and it's called easy, easy to moderate pace 62 to 82 percent some of these zone ones do go to 82 and it's not licensed for everyone to say oh i can gain two percent i don't know quite why that extra two percent but it, it's still the same thing. It's it's slightly, you know, cutting be, hairs. It, would, oh, it wouldn't yeah. be it wouldn't be that much of a difference. No. It would be whether somebody says, oh, oh, actually, I just crept into um, just crept into zone one. Really, I, I wasn't in zone two. But you know, it's really interesting to look at the individual bits and then to look at how they they change weeks. But there's a heck of a lot of continuous running, continuous running, continuous running, and and of course there has to be. You know, Sunday, 28k of continuous running in two hours. Now. You know, 14k an hour, and and it to be continuous running. Well, with, with with this, we're looking at it on on Joe's laptop in it because they they've taken everything into account. So where they're to sea level, uh, where they're to um, altitude wise. So you know, even if it's a hundred foot, one of them's training at. Uh, Flagstaff, 2010. 2,100 meters um, above sea level. So, you know, it, it's got pretty much everything on there to be able to cover all the bases. Yeah. So if they can pick the detail out of that, yeah. you know, with their, their kind of up to 82%, then, you know, there, there must be some truth. But there's a the simplicity to it. This is what yeah. I like. You know, 8K continuous running with six by 100 strides. Okay, simple as that. No, no, no kind of overthinking that one. Um, you know, the evening, you know, some general strength training after a 13K continuous run. Next day, continuous, continuous, continuous. And this is a training prep period for um, runner D, who runner D um, was, uh, runner D, I think, was the, um, that was the male, uh, you know, that was a male 28-minute 10Ker. Okay, so, you know, pretty rapid, not, you know, not the absolute best of the best, but hands up out there, who doesn't want to do a 28 minute K um, in their next life? <laughs> not in this one, it's not happening in this one, is it, by any means? But it's the simplicity of it. And I think lots of people try to complicate it. The hard thing is, is that to try and find the time, um, but to think, okay, if they're running, you know, it says, um, you know, runner B, morning, Monday morning, you know, an hour steady running. 14k most people you know 14k ain't going to take them an hour it's going to take them a lot longer or if they do 14k in an hour it's flat out so it's no longer continuous zone one running it's racing in the evening another 10k of continuous running so they spent an hour 40 running on monday but that's their bread and butter next day you know 10k done in 44 minutes again steady state running so there's an awful lot of just simple um so like, you're telling people to go out and train twice a day now well, well, no, this is the elites. That's the other yes, way to think about it. This, I mean. is, this is elites, yeah, yeah. and you can train anybody in any number of times. There are, there are plenty of people that like their training, and they like their training more than they like adapting. 
So they just will do more training, not necessarily will they adapt. And these people are, you know, they're pushing the, some of the boundaries. I'm not going to say that they're um, the world record holders, but they're certainly pretty rapid because they've actually um, represented, a, you know, European, um, Commonwealth. European Commonwealth World Olympic. And it isn't just, you don't, you don't just take the Olympic winners and say, oh, it's only the Olympic winners, that's the ones that we learn from. These are still really good, um, you know, diaries of what they do. And, you know, some of them, uh, this is, I think this is one of the female, this is runner D, no, this is runner D, which is the male one. You know, sometimes it's 9K in the morning, 15K at night, 9K in the morning. Now, most mornings is 9K and then, um, you know, midway through the week, there's um, two and a half hours, 28K um, in 150 minutes, which to my mind, he must have slowed right down because that's two and a half hours for 28K. And just while I do the maths, that's 11k an hour, whereas actually most of the other running has been actually quicker than that. Yeah? For me, it's actually interesting to see this broken down, to, to see the volume of training that they do, mm. um, and to still, from, from, from what you go on about zone one training... What I go on about? Yes, in the <laughs> nicest term, is, um, you know, they don't, they don't stray very far from it. Do they? You know, the hours that they spend above that is 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 tiny. And it's a it's a particular session, right? Tuesday, yeah. Look, Tuesday. This is this is um. Wow. This is this is runner F. Thirty five k of continuous running. Okay. <whistles> Varying speed. You know, um, uh, sort of going from four k to three forty five to three thirty to four to three twenty. Um, this is a uh, runner F is. Um, a runner F is a female with you know a 32 minute 10k and a 229 marathon. Okay, um, again, uh, 229 isn't a 215, so but it's still it's still class, and yet that person's doing a you know a a very long um, continuous um, run session. So there are individual differences. They aren't all swallowing exactly the same. Um, preparation some are splitting it you know one does you know there's a day where um, runner F does a 15k run in the morning and a 26k run in the evening so they've done 41k or basically a, a marathon the morning one's done at 4k per hour um, the evening ones the evening sorry four minutes per kilometer um, so that's uh, 15k an hour yeah just under six minute mile in the evening one it's done at 13 kilometers an hour. So it's slightly slower, but it's for two hours. So they've done a 41K or a marathon in that day, but they do the sort of slightly faster running in the morning and then steady in the evening. Some people do it the other way around. So it, it is interesting, but it, it's mostly built around um, a lot of, uh, you know, it's even got races here, 5,000 meters, Bislett Games, 1309, and the splits of 237, 238, 241, 244, and 228. Um, and funnily enough, you know, next day, a gometer bike, 30, 35 minutes um, with a lactate level of two and a half to three. So, you know, they kind of mix in even a bit of cross training. I, I just think it's so interesting because the, the great way is to try and take that and think, what does that do to mm. average um, uh, athletes? And often it means, look, don't try and make every session complicated. Some sessions are just doing the discipline um, for, for what is... Um, very nicely and very um, succinctly called here, you know, running economy, or it could be swimming economy, or it could be cycling economy. Some of it is just doing that sport to just get efficient at it. 
and and that's it. Just do do that sport. I, I think that's it. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of thought that goes into people's. I, I do it. I overcomplicate the training. So, for instance, when you, you know you want to do uh, some form of um, big gear work, but also mixed with sprinting, and you're just like that. Why? Why am I doing? Why do I have to do all that together? You know, we can yeah. leave that for one separate um, kind of session, or, or like you said, just go out there and just be good at good at being economic with your with your riding, your swimming, you know, swimming especially. You know, if you can if you can be economic with with your with your stroke, with how you move in the water, that just saves you untold amount of energy and makes you quicker. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably more interesting for uh, uh, for Joe to to put that if he's allowed to put it up online. Yeah, I'll find um, I'll find the link for the um, yeah for the research. It is um it is a, a readily yeah. a readily available um, piece of research online and actually uh, yeah just show you where it is even if you can only look at um, a, a part of it. It was out in two thousand eleven and for nothing else you don't need to be really. Um, uh, overly, uh, I don't think you have to. You know, you were looking at it and you didn't have to understand massive amounts of physiology. All oh, right, yeah, thanks for that, Joe. But yeah, you were looking at it. You're a bit simple. You understood that. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. All oh, right. There was okay. a couple thanks of pictures. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> pictures and figures. Pictures no, and figures going on here. Yeah. Um, no, you you are right. Yeah, you know, you can. I can look at it, but even just taking their training diaries has been really interesting and quite simplistic until they get into their kind of. Not an interval session, but until they start to do a bit more technical, uh, technical running. So, um, yeah, looks good. I yeah, like that. you'll put that up. Yeah, yeah, um, I'll find that. Uh, meanwhile, give because um, I think we could do this. Give your because you're you're the mountain biker. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and also a, a cyclocross racer these days. Well. <laughs> um, tips for people right now that are more off road. And therefore, probably more in their season, right? Yeah. Um, how does it how does it differ if you were if you were racing? How would it differ to just training? I mean, do you do you put exactly the same amount of effort in, but cram it into a Sunday morning, or do you think completely different if you're going to do a cyclocross, or is it that you do an effort, and otherwise the rest of the week's just base training. How do you do it right now? If, I mean, for instance, if you take the cross season, the cross season's a little bit different because you're almost racing every weekend. So, you know, there could be anything up to, you know, racing from November, you know, starting, starting in November right on up to middle of January, you know, kind okay. of like most of the nationals now, I think, are, have been done. Uh, and then that's it. But you could race every weekend if you wanted to. So possibly, you know, there could be up to 22 races. Oh, really? So one thing I did notice is we, we, we did this, the season here. So we did 15 races and they, we were fortunate where a couple were a weekend apart. Um, there was two weekends in there. Um, but once you were racing, once you were actually back racing um, properly, you found that you didn't actually need a lot of training to top it up. You know, you needed to keep the legs moving. You needed to, um, after uh, your, it's only an hour cyclocross or an hour and a lap. Uh, but it's it's pretty tough. It's as, as hard as you can go for that hour. Um, and I've got a max heart rate of 195. Um, and, you know, I can average 189 to 190 going round at that. So it's it's tough, as in really tough. Um, but what I found with that, which works for me, is I did basically a training session on a Tuesday, an easy zone one training session, and then uh, did a little bit of weights on a Wednesday, did 
an easy training session again on the Thursday. Right. Then we went out, we, go, we meet up a Saturday morning early before work and go out. And again, that's all just zone one work. And then Sunday comes and, you know, back on it. You know, you can, you can hit the race in the afternoon. And, and, it, and that seemed to work for me all the way up. All the way up to about the first couple of races, so it's probably the first, to be honest, the first three or f probably three races were a bit, you know, a bit of a shock to the system because it's just kind of the first race in. It's still quite warm, still quite dry, so it's pretty fast and it's hard work. Um, but then when it starts to get a bit wet, a bit colder, um, I seem to get better that way. But, you know, people react differently, I suppose. Um, but I found that I didn't have to do quite so much of that interval training that people do get obsessed with having to do when they're racing right i just found that because the racing was almost every week or every other weekend um you know i just got fit pretty quick and then you know the training was just tuesdays thursdays saturday easy rides and then but one thing i did find that helped me is having to do um like a, a pre-warm-up the pre-warm-up was you know a longer warm-up for the shorter stuff seemed right. to work a lot better for me yeah. it made me feel as though you didn't that first couple of laps where you are literally dying mm. on your knees struggling to breathe and struggling to get the power out i found that that i could sustain it it came on it didn't come on as quick um and it soon went and then you were cracking on with it so but yeah i found more racing meant that i didn't have to do as much training and it was a bit easier, uh, the training anyway, and I was less fatigued. My recovery was pretty sharp with that as well. So, okay. But still having to stick to your decent nutrition, um, you know, getting, getting the right amount of rest. But I never had to do a hard session no. uh, through those block of like 12 to 15, 15 weeks just to kind of get your power up or, you know... Um, feel as though you needed to get a bit of interval because it's so hard anyway yeah you know it, it it seemed to work for me it might not work for everybody else but um you know some some guys don't and don't adapt to that break in between where there's maybe you have two weekends off and then back for that right. third weekend and then yeah. you struggled quite yeah, yeah, badly yeah, yeah, yeah. on that yeah. one off the start line but you know that could be a multitude of things but no it was good and and, and also with that is it gives you the incentive just to after the season finished, so I kind of finished mid-December-ish. There was a couple of races left. But then the Christmas period was mine. You know, I could do the easy work again. And then New Year, coming into the New Year now, where you're starting to mountain bike, you just did a couple of top-up sessions and then you're back on back on for the mountain bike racing. Back on it. Back on it. Back yeah. on it. Um, here's, as a, as a slight diversion, here's a tweet. You'll be listening to this um, a few days after this, but this was a tweet on the 13th of uh, January. And it was um, it was taken from an article in Peak Performance and looked at loads of different um, sports and looked at across the whole range of them what percentage they were quoted as doing Zone One. And there was rowers, cyclists, uh, rowers in winter, rowers in summer, runners, cross country uh, skiers, uh, rowers. Um, after their career as a as a sort of a, a a look back on the data there was another one to do with um uh early in their career there was runners there was triathletes the average across all of those groups came out at just around 80 percent um and this was you know obviously uh taking data from elites isn't what people think is automatically going to be Oh, that's not me. I'm different. Well, no, physiologically, you'll, you you may not have the same engine, but we're under the same constraints. 
And these were people competing from four minutes up to two hours. Yeah. And they all fell within that group. And, the, you know, the more the evidence is there, it, it's saying, look, there's a bulk of it that's got to be, you know, steady. And also on top of that, yeah, do your hard work, but don't do the bulk of the steady stuff too hard because you won't want to go and do the hard work. And the hard work is kind of, you're icing it. But unless you've got the base, you can't go straight to the icing. You've got to do the base first. Um, and that would fit in with what you said, and that would fit in with what... Um, uh, Nick, your boss said earlier about time trialing. Oh, that worked last year. You said just do one time trial, don't do other intervals leading up to it, and do that week after week. And it's long enough to recover, but really get good racing results. And I think there is a thought that if you do more quality, you'll get more, more, more. And unless there's a, no, a very, very big cake that you're, you're adding that quality to, you could just be, therefore, almost doing quality in every, not in every session, but in every instance of the week, there seems to be quality. You look at those runners, there was 13 sessions often, and most of it was continuous, continuous, continuous. Oh, a, a quality session, continuous, continuous. Oh, a quality session. They were doing some, but not a lot. And I think people turn that on its head and think, if I do more quality work, I'll adapt faster, but I think the proportion for lots of people isn't 80-10. I think sometimes it's 90, sorry, 80-20, 80-10, where did that 10 go? <laughs> um, it's 90-10 because to do the quality work and deliver it often in shorter periods than the elites because you haven't got the whole year to train, you haven't got um, total focus, therefore you can't just move anything and everything to get your training to work. And you are probably, in most cases, the people that listen to podcasts, considerably older than the people that are in these studies that are probably 20s and maybe into 30s. Most people listening to the podcast will probably be 30s going into their 40s and upwards. But also with the, what's interesting with, with the particular graph is... Is, is it shapes? And you love shapes. What I particularly like is the fact that you've highlighted around it, Joe. Um, that was just because I found the piece of paper today on my rummage to get all these pieces of paper <laughs> that you've seen. And I just found this piece of paper and... I don't know why I'd put a, uh, a highlighter around it, I have to say. Um, I like what you've done. But I took that, and now this is the beauty of it. You iPhone it, you tweet it, and it's there. And I was thinking, a minute ago, that was just on a piece of paper in an article, and, and now it's, um, it's out there. You know, um, not two million, but 2,000 people can uh, plonk that onto their thing and go, oh, oh, I see. And I put, spot a trend. Can you spot a trend? But also with that, you bear in mind, okay, it's professional athletes that are doing that kind of training. So their 80-20 still looks like that. Things do change a little bit when they go into season because things drop off. Uh, but you've got to bear in mind, again, is they have all the support, all their focus, yes. all the rest that they want, all the nutrition that they need. So, you know, you're kind of... You are... You're at that point now where you are kind of... 90, I think the 90-10 works yeah. better yeah. for people that are that have got stressful jobs that are busy busy families etc etc so I, I think that 90-10 works better but for, for some people getting the impetus to go out and do some tra do some training uh, I love training I love it I love the I love all the tech that goes with it um, you know I'd, I'd buy myself a new bike to go and train in dry weather wet weather snow if I had my way I'd have that collection of bikes to go and do it all with power meters all, all with temperature ranges oh, on them I'd, I'd love it I, I love training and I love all, all the gadgetry that goes with it and if I'm brutally honest I probably like training more than I like racing right but then I quite enjoy the stress of racing I quite enjoy you know 
the slightly elevated heart rate, nervous feeling in the in the kind of the pit of your stomach as well when you're when you're on the start line. So you know, I think the ninety ten rule works better for busy people, but Joe might tell you different. <laughs> um, no, I think I think that's I think that's so, and I think it's 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 always finding what is um, somebody's particular um, sort of sweet spot, and it's not turn that on its head and no 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 I've got to go hard every time there, there are people that will try and justify that but when when you actually break down the training um, I don't think it's planned and I think the thing about training is you want to plan what you're going to do and afterwards say did I do what I planned because it's sort of obvious it's too easy to say well no I started going steady but you know after a while I you know I, did, I felt pretty good so you know started to do a few efforts it's like well that, that isn't what we see on these retrospective diaries or on training plans they don't say warm up see how we feel and see whether we do efforts <laughs> yeah, or not yeah. you know what I mean yeah you warm know. up smash one smash, smash it smash Just it out and, and, and also it's often incremental they, they probably can recall a lot of their efforts because not only were they um, the athletes that have got diaries and the, the current pro athletes they're very dialed in to saying, yeah, we're running about, I don't know, you know, 352s at the moment for the kilometres, but, you know, that'll come down to 346s, I reckon, in the next few weeks. And they're very dialed into it, and it is quite methodical. You can see that with these things. If you take it week after week, you can see that there isn't a... They don't randomly suddenly say, oh, we did a minute on, minute off, or oh, we did this or this. There might be changes of location, and there might be certainly succinct things, which none of them there will you find is absolutely novel and you think i've never seen a, a you know a, a version of that anywhere else there'll be blocks of 5k at changing pace there'll be the overstriding, understriding 100 meters there'll be you know the continuous tempo pace for x kilometers to me it's not that complicated to work out those things but when you've only got a certain number of hours and you're an amateur you can't do everything and do a massive number of intervals and if you're also somebody that's perhaps mixing up other sports you've got to be really aware that you can't do everything in every sport that a swimmer bike and runner should do um, if you like cross training and you mountain bike a bit or you um, like running but you occasionally do some cycling stuff you've got to be very careful that you can step back sometimes and work out and say what am I trying to do and I like the idea of a menu that people sort of say well that's my and that's my endurance sessions that's what I go do for my strength that's what I gotta do for my skill and and sort of look at it in that way not stop you having fun but not just randomly train and then particularly as we spoke about um, Richard earlier kind of go into terrain or go into groups that totally don't end up being you know that's nothing that's that's not what we see on elite or good age group athlete diaries they don't end up um almost being you know battered to submission to see whether they can keep up they've got a plan and it's got to be their plan and if a certain group is faster than you i don't know what you do about it but you don't just think i'll have to cling on and that will make me better because you don't actually cling on do you let's be honest no you, you don't particularly I mean, if you're talking running biking you can get away with a bit of drafting but running you can't no you know and, and also I, I kind of i i I chat to a lot of people that come in, obviously, um, that come into the shop. Um, and still, when you explain to them about, oh, you know, I'm doing this, this sportif, whether it's Ride London, so I say, oh, right, so you've planned your training from, from kind of your, your ride back to, to, to today, this current. Yeah. This, and they, you could just see the hollow glare just go, no, I'm just going to train up to it. 
like that, well, you know, you kind of got to allow yourself a little bit of time to, to rest, mm. you know. What are you going to do? Ride really slowly now and, and then slowly build, 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 build all the way up to the event. And you could kind of almost see him go, well, yeah, I am. But so, well, what time in between are you allowing to rest? And what time are you allowing to rest after you've done all your, your hard stuff and you're ready for your event? And you can just, oh, I'm just going to ride up to mm. the event. Like that, well, you know, you might, you, you might, that might be the organisation that you wanted, you know, but if you wanted to get something a bit more kind of down on paper, then just work back from your event and yeah. just try and make sure that you kind of get everything sorted, even down from your nutrition. And then people just go, oh, yeah, I was just going to take some jelly babies and some, some water in my bottle. And you're like, right, okay, well, I know you want to do well. I know it's not the be all and end all, but, you know, you don't want to get 60 miles into your 100 mile ride and think, Oh yeah, maybe maybe water was a bad idea, or go scrabbling around the streets trying to look for someone selling a a hot dog and a can of coke. So, you know, you, you, certain things that you do have to you have to think about. But funny enough, I was I was just thinking to myself uh, this morning um, about things that have changed, technology that has changed, kind of cycling and mm. swimming and running. You know, with cycling, you've got everything from your your tyres all the way up to your aero kit. Um, you know, you've got nutrition with 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 running and, and and cycling. You know, swimming, you've got new suits. But with running, not a lot's changed, has no. it really? No. You kind of look at it and go, what did you get? A new pair of shoes? So, you know, you all these little things kind of add up to it as well. But you know, like back onto back onto the subject, then you know, um your the way you train and and the way you kind of your body adapts is a bit more important to how things used to be yeah. um and again kind of down to your down to your nutrition so it was uh you know it, it's certain things that you can look at that you can improve um, and i even even i still still find this i still like to try something a little bit different but you end up going back to the same old thing which is to me is i did like you said the 80 20 or your 90 10 so yeah um because it's in vogue, I got asked about it today. Who, um, what? It's, okay, it's, it's, it's something bouncing around at the moment, you hear a lot about it. About this whole idea of going on to um, a keto-adapted diet, basically shifting people onto a lot more uh, fatty, protein-based food and making them have to use the, uh, the ketone bodies that come up as a result of not having enough carbohydrates. You basically teach people to be low-carb athletes. Um, and they took 26 ultra marathoners and Ironman distance triathletes and they, they kind of looked at them and then they put them for a, a long time. I can't remember. Uh, I'll have to go back over and look at the, uh, as, we're, as we're chatting, look at the, the length of time of the study. But we're talking months and months and months and months. And they basically put them towards um, a, uh, right, this is the kind of diet that you, you know, need to be on. Um, and it was very much pushing them in the way of right you've got to be um fat adapted you've got to try and um uh, change your diet to not the classic um higher carb uh, diet but in so are we talking fast food and i don't know fast fast food and you know protein shakes are we um, talking well uh, I mean, you know, all they did was they just had to have less than 20% of their energy from carbohydrate and greater than 60% of it from fat for at least six months. So, you know, they, they, they'd been on a, you know, a very high fat diet, um, 
okay, they arrived at the laboratory, they had um, certain uh, tests and so forth, and they looked at, you know, what, what had happened to these people, and they found that they got uh, very, very, very uh, fat-efficient. Um, people don't always talk about how much fat people use, but they were using up to a gram and a half per minute when they were using maximum um, fat use. So they were up and around, uh, what, 70% of VO2 max. So, you know, that's 70% is kind of up as, you know, up as zone one. And um, it was, yeah, it's 59% higher in, um, in the group that had been you know, basically just constantly fat loading, you know, more than 60% of your diet from fat. Right, so, so let's strip this down to its bare bones. So, so what is it trying to say? What is it comparing? Comparing, obviously, a fat diet to a standard carbohydrate kind of athlete's diet, or...? Um, yeah, you know, they, they were, um, you know, they, they, as they said, you know, they habitually consumed um, either a normal higher-carb diet, you know, about 60% carbs, or lower-carb diet where there was basically only 10% of carbs and uh, around about averaging about 70% of fat. So there's a huge amount of fat going into the diet. Um, some of them did it for nine months, some of them did it for three years. And it does show that you can get the body to adapt. There isn't a measure of performance, so it may be... That's that, what I was going to say. You know, yeah. These people get very good at fat. They'd be great if they you know, had to... Uh, go, um, you know, trekking or walking fast or, you know, plodding along. Um, it doesn't say, even though they're ultramarathoners and, and triathletes, it didn't say, um, it didn't say, you know, that they were definitely performing better. Uh, they had, yeah, extraordinary rates of, of fat oxidation. I think I'd only ever read about people that were up around a gram per minute. These are one and a half grams per minute of fat they're using, which most people that are not fit, certainly that don't do um, controlled aerobic exercise and don't sometimes train fasted, um, and also sometimes are, um, well, the people that are guilty of, of never getting the fat oxidation well, the ones that say, oh, I've got to eat some breakfast and I'll go out, and they always load their body with carbs before they train. These people didn't have much carbs to actually put in there. Um, and uh, the other thing was, was they actually found um, that the athletes, when they did this test run to find out how fit they were, and then they did what was basically a three hour run, then they looked at how fast the um, glycogen would go back into um, the muscles. And um, they were still remarkably um, efficient at storing glycogen. I, I mean, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong with this, but the, the way I look at it was the quality of fuel that you want to put in gives you the quality of burn, if you know what I mean. To some degree, yeah, I suppose, yeah. And this is, you know, this is working at percentages that are, um, you know, the low-carb the low carb group um, was, yeah, they were working at 70% of VO2 max and they were um, fat efficient. And the, the high-carb group were working at 55% at peak fat oxidation. So they were a lot better at using fats because they were eating fats. Yeah. Now, maybe, you know, maybe if your race happens to be that you're working at 70% of max, so that would probably be, you know, a very long race, probably even longer than an Ironman, then that might be beneficial if you're doing something that lasts 
two days, it might be beneficial. But does this kind of diet help somebody that is, um, you know, a 70.3 racer mm. or is a, um, you know, even a, you know, kind of, a, say, a short course, you know, cross-country um, mountain biker? It, it it's still not known, but at least it shows that you can manipulate it. It's a it's a very well done study, and it does show you can manipulate it. And there are people talking about it, but we don't know that this is automatically gone. Oh look, we've got the high carb wrong. You know, quick go the other way. Yeah, yeah. Because high carb, shift. you know, high carbs came about from sort of you know 60, 70 research where you deplete people, you get them to load up again, and wow, they run at a faster pace than if they didn't have that. Um, depletion repletion phase some events are not are not affected by how many um carbs a person can use or not use they're too short others are limited by the fact that some people can't consume enough or their gut is limiting factor and they did a three-hour run and they showed that their the resting glycogen before despite being low on carbs which there's a reason for that which is too complicated to explain but they they are still very good at harvesting glycogen from the fact that they're still not eating a lot of carbs, but it's whether this translates to being, you know, a real shift in paradigm to say, do you know what, if you're doing an event over, let's say, five hours, 10 hours, or, or, or 24 hours, if you're doing it over this, we know this lends itself towards you going faster, but a certain amount of people can't just see it as licensed to, um, to, to just eat fat because what we don't know is really how were these people um, training were they just very efficient because they were doing lots of you know lots of zone one training or they were they were ultramarathoners because they were very efficient and because they were very efficient they could have burning fat it's too early to take this but it will be the start of um, more I think more methodical approaches to say okay can can you fat optimize yes this is shown it and some other studies have shown it but is that of benefit or is it that you've got to choose at what times you give your body more fat, what times you give it more carbs, whether you need to learn how to absorb more carbs in racing, whether you need to actually, um, and I found it to good effect, to actually teach your body to go on some of the bars that are slightly more fat and protein and not have to be consuming quite so many carbs. Because also with that as well, I mean, I've... I've I've kind of seen little snippets of studies where they've they've taken. Oh, have you, have you been doing that reading stuff again? Yes, I know. Yeah, <laughs> and even the book the book even had pictures. But um, as you get older, you get less reliant on carbs. Your body your body doesn't need it quite so much as mm. the as as kind of fat and protein. Yeah. Um, only purely from the fact that I think you store the carbs, which then will turn itself into into fat if you don't burn it. But um, reading what it says is the, the, the older you get as well, the less um, reliant your body is on having that, that carbohydrate. Yeah. So, um, but again, I, I really took the information out that I think I should understand. Probably haven't understood it. <laughs> I made a right pig's ear of it. But, you know, and there was another bit that I read. No, I can't remember what the outcome of it was. I'll have to go back and, and read it again. As you can tell, my brain only just absorbs, uh, only absorbs certain bits and bobs. So That's um, all it needs to do is absorb the bits and bobs. That's all you need. Um, so what, what, uh, what we don't know is whether that is automatically right, you know, just eat loads of fat. It probably suggests that certain people, because of their energy expenditure, can train better because fat is more energy dense therefore it's easier to cover your um, calorie expenditure 
if you eat carbs, you tend to get hungry quicker. You also, um, you're also putting more um, carbs into your mouth and onto your teeth. You also have only got a, an extent to which any of these can be absorbed, but carbs, too many carbs, and they'll become fat around the body. And we don't know the body composition change of these people. We don't know, um, you know how they were training. It doesn't even actually tell us exactly what they ate. It only gave them a ballpark of what they should be eating. It doesn't tell us the um, extent to which um, all of the athletes were definitely on a set diet. They were only given a, uh, a ballpark figure of trying to have at least 60%, which I haven't seen. Um, they didn't uh, fully explain what that meant. Sometimes they'll show like a, you know, a list or they'll show what they gave the um, athletes with regards to um, the uh, amount of, uh, you know, you have this much olive oil with this amount of, you know, of this amount of oats and you make a super high fat flapjack or whatever. I don't know. I don't know I how thought they... it would be like KFC or McDonald's with particular types of Well, dip. That's, the other, that's the other side of it is that, the, you know, the fat intake, you've got to look at the quality of fat and um, there was something that I picked up earlier and it was, uh, again, an older article. And, you know, the, the, the key thing from this um, very well-respected uh, coach and kinesiologist was, you know, watch hydrogenated fat and you know, go for quality fats. Of course, if you're sometimes just thinking, well, all I've got to do is eat more than 60% fat, then everything gets bundled into being okay. Yeah, so then people say, it. oh, yeah, it's really high fat, it'll be great. And that's a short-term study only looking at, well, looking at, Oxidize, oxidation rates. It's not looking at um, the health of the people, not looking at what the quality um, intake of the foodstuffs that they therefore had to eliminate and therefore did they start to produce other nutrient deficiencies. At some point, you've got to have a bit of almost everything to cover different bases and seeing people that think that their diet's really on board, you can pick up through um, blood profiling that they're not perfectly eating because it's really hard to do and I think what we've got to watch with this study and with people that have already sort of said oh I've heard something about such and such is that you know high fat may work in certain scenarios it's too early to do a universal you know look fat is the new thing let's start eating more fat however you should get in probably for most people at least 20 to 30 percent of your of your um, calorie intake from fat because that allows you to have um, more food groups it allows you to get um, uh, dense energy in which means you don't have to eat more and more carbs because you end up getting to the extent where you just can't eat enough because you haven't got enough quality and fats we have a uh, an essential fatty acid requirement so if you go very low in in fats you start doing self-harm and a short study done with runners showed that when they reduced their fat to really low levels their vo2 max and performance dropped so we know there's got to be a sweet spot i probably don't think it is 60 percent for most people it's probably maybe you know 40 to 50 percent at times and maybe a bit um a bit lower when high carb is required perhaps for a carbo loading part um, but but interesting because it's it's you know there are people talking about you know oh we've all got to go on more fats and stuff and meanwhile they're trying to you know um, watch the high fat in food and saying we should be uh, taxing foods that are very high in fat it's like yeah well look you're getting dual types of info coming at you um, quality fats yes we need um, you don't want to trim fat out to think that it's bad because clearly good fats in this instance actually made these athletes 
um, fat efficient. We don't know whether they're performing any faster. We don't know whether they um, you know, were more or less injury prone because of the carbohydrate adjustment that their body had to make. We don't know any of that, but it's going to open the floodgates to more studies. I like that. You like that? I like that. <clears throat> um, while talking about fats, just, um, oh it's kind of a plug. Um, yeah, what? I know, yeah, 220 Magazine, February 1993. That's an awful long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's February, so, you know, that's almost, by the time this comes out, that'll almost be, uh, how many is that, 23 years? No, more than that, no, no, isn't it? 90, 93, 03, 13, yeah, 23 years. I have to do the math then. <laughs> I thought it was 33 years. And now, more alarmingly on your fingers. Um, <laughs> and this, this particular um, article was about um, L-carnitine and it was to do with uh, research, it was to do with working with athletes uh, such as uh, Alan Ingerfield and Matt Belfield. And um, there's going to be follow-up, actually not in 220, um, it's going to be in uh, Peak Performance, which is um, an online and a um, subscription. You've probably seen Peak Performance, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was just writing it today and I had all this stuff out and I thought, actually, I'm going to start um, feeding some of this lot out. And uh, there was a piece, which I've gone and left at home, that showed Alan Ingerfield, who was one of our top Ironman athletes in again in the in the early 90s and how his um his performance um wasn't wasn't just down to alcarnitine he was training here it is it's called under the microscope and uh he was uh yeah he he clocked blimey what was his timer he did 837 um and uh and in 1992 he'd gone to the british olympic medical center so we got all of his data and we looked at how he changed we looked at his heart rate max what he was doing and this guy was the king of um king of fat burning practice fat burning regularly um less than 75 percent max heart rate so we were being even a little bit more um uh conservative and trying to bring it down um use our carnitine to load up um Back then, there was something called lepin sachets. Yeah, well, I've, I've heard of that. They were that. the first gels. They were made by the South African company, um, uh, FRN, and they were the first energy gels. And so these were just trickling out in the early part of the 90s. Um, uh, yeah, and it was practice fat burning. And we looked at his data and you know, got him um, supplementing. And uh, it, it was really interesting to see that, you know, pulse rate, a five twenty minute miling, so clearly a bit quicker than what um, the uh, actual Ironman was done at. But pulse rate dropped three and a half percent by becoming more and more efficient. Um, the actual um, uh, like uh, what's it called, like the oxygen pulse, how efficient his um, VO two max was, had gone up ten percent over that period of time. And it was looking at what he did. He was doing lots of base training. He put lots of hours in. He was L-carnitine supplemented. He was bouncing off training sessions, and um, he went on to start Baldwin Cycles. Wow! Yeah. What else do we know? Um, we want some more questions for next time. Yeah. I could have chosen. There was a few more that came in, but I liked that one that we did actually, and I think we could have spent time on that. I don't want to do too many and have to do them quickly. That's the thing. What What I was thinking again um, for. Maybe the next podcast would be to get people just to text in, and all all we want to know is what is your best piece of equipment that you own? Just 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 the description of the kit. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So if it's 
a particular type of helmet, whether it's an aero helmet, a standard helmet, whether it's tires, whether it's bike, you know, power meter, you know, it might even be goggles, um, you know, a pair of trainers, some, you know, elasticated laces. Just, just, just when we ask for, for questions on podcasts, what we do is we'll do a question where we just say, what is your best piece of kit uh, yeah. that you own, that you deemed to be the best piece of kit? Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a, a broad spectrum. So it doesn't matter whether it's running kit, whether it's swimming kit, whether it's your cycling kit, um, you know, tri kits, training kit, you know, any any little bit of, bit of kit that makes your life easier, just just send it in to us, you know, just send in what, what it is. The reason why I'm doing that is there might be people out there listening just going, if someone says, oh yeah, you know, I've bought a, um, a roller, a foam roller to, to, to get rid of knots. And someone might go, all oh, right, I'll have a look at that. And then it might actually make them think about other aspects that they haven't thought about, which we kind of end up doing most of the time. Anyway, when someone yeah. comes in and says, oh yeah, have you seen this? And it's just normally me and me texting Joe or, or emailing Joe going, oh, customers just come in and mention this. What do you think? And then we kind of go, all right, well, that's, that's quite a good idea or that's quite good. And normally one of us ends up buying it and then kind of testing it out and then lending it out and then people go oh my good lord yeah I see what you mean with that now so so yeah that might be uh, might be a good thing to to have I think in the next podcast yeah um I won't I won't go into it now but we can uh, we can dangle something in front of the uh, listeners um ears um next time give you some insight into uh CFD and some interesting stuff what's uh, computational, what CFD com- mean? computational fluid dynamics looking at basically the, the, the properties, you can do it now with a, a, a decent uh, bit of software and the speed of computers. And you can look at the, the airflow, particularly airflow as it relates to um, uh, cycling. I think there's more going into also the, that it's very difficult to do with swimmers trying to work out. Say. Um, that's even more complicated. It's even less well known of, about what actually is going on around the swimmer and to the swimmer. Uh, but yeah, CFD next time, um, a little bit of... Uh, uh, a little bit of an insight into some uh, some info, but otherwise this is, I think it's a bit of an eclectic mix. But I didn't want it to just be question after question, and I think sometimes people just uh, they, they they need a soft start to the new year. Let's put it that way. Let's yeah, put a yeah. soft start. We can do, would it, it slowly ease you into slowly the year? Into it. If nothing else, use you know, use these sometimes to trigger things, and I always. Um, try to sort of think right now don't set yourself up for you know hugely overestimating what you can suddenly do that you've never done before but set yourself up to you know to refine and to maybe make that that skill session where you do really concentrate and you don't think about who's in the lane next to you or whether you're biking you do think about having your extra spares so that you do uh find that you can deal with mishaps and, and, and issues and refining what you do is actually much better than just trying to do more of it or do it harder and actually be written you know, or kind of you don't have to be professional about it but you just you just get yourself doing it correctly and that might be just backing off 10% and doing your base session saying I know it's slower than 
I could have gone, but that was the point of that session. Conversely, I've really got myself sorted out with my turbo trainer or my my uh, gym's got a watt bike and I've booked it for this period or whatever. And you, and you define how you do it, not by is it more or even sometimes is it even faster because it may be you're getting out of the right zone into the wrong zone. But are you doing it correctly? Are you doing it as you planned? And that's hard to do. But I tell you what, it's really effective because you can see whether you're doing not just, oh, well, I did all these hours. No, what was the point if you started that session? What was the intention of how you would finish the session? Could you look back and say, I did that, that, that. And, that. and it sounds incredibly like um, obvious, I think. obvious, but also it's, yeah. it sounds like quite restrictive. But it's like, well, people like the runners that we looked at, you know, they, they didn't just say, oh, we went off and, oh, you know, one day we ran this and one day we ran that. It's very, very um, methodical and diligent. But with it comes a sense of you're in control of the training. It's not just that person slightly faster who's within visible sight of you and changes your methodology right there and then to go faster than you wanted to. Or you pick the wrong type of training and, oh, well, I'll do it anyway. I think to do it correctly is is a rewarding thing because it's actually a plan then. And lots of people that say that they're on a training plan or not, they're just training and they look back in hindsight and go, oh, yeah, well, I did that and that and that and that. And the hotspots might work or it might just be total rubbish. And I mean that in the, in the nicest possible way because they're not reacting properly to looking at a week and going, oh, I've really got to do that one better or... I've got to take that group, ask them to split in half because I can't do that and we need slower people because uh, I'm, too, I'm too slow, so are other people and we're having to turn it into a time trial. Conversely, you could be the person that starts those groups, you could be the person that sets up a nice consistent block in January and then goes, oh, it's starting to work now. And that's what I see with people. It's nothing amazing, it's just consistency. I saw, um, I saw a, a little, a ditty. A ditty, a, a did you? Ditty. And it was actually, it was, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of um, of the gym. Of ditties. Of ditties. No. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the gym. I, I kind of I, I I don't appreciate it enough. And funny enough, I was watching this thing about a personal trainer, and the personal trainer said, "Get rid of the weights. What we're going to do is just do your body weight. So things, silly little things like um, like seated squats or what pistol squats and things like that." And he was just saying, get rid of the weights because the weights complicate things. The first thing, uh, for instance, blokes want to do is pick up really heavy weights. He said, and you're just not ready for it. Make sure your posture and, and the way that you're doing it, the way that uh, the exercise is supposed to be done is being done properly, you know, with, with you at certain angles, with, with your, um, you know, silly little thing like your feet being uh, the, the right width apart. Um, and everything else so that that kind of thing just made it really simple and I thought right I'm gonna try and try and do a bit of this and, and get my get my kind of structure right without the weights without the hassle of yeah. of um, having to worry about what weights I did last time and you know how heavy were they last time and how light were they last time just got rid of it all and just made sure that the the, the way I was doing the exercise was supposed to be done that way and when I finished two days later, I was still walking like John Wayne. So I was just thinking, well, you know, I don't need you don't need the weights there to make you stronger. If you if you're doing the exercise properly, then you add the not yeah. the complication, but the the added bits to it later on. So yeah, silly little things like that. So you know, when you go out riding, pedal efficiency is one. Um, you know, a friend of ours, Dan Dan Bullock, who who's um, who does all the swim coaching as well. You know, the the efficiency of stroke and things like that, where you just take it back to its basic form. Do your training without having to worry that I've got to do this. 
1500 meters in this certain time because it's speed work or you're just taking it back to its basic form where you want to practice the stroke yeah. um you know and all the little things that you've forgotten over the season are now starting to come back and oh yeah right okay i see what you mean by the catch and you know and back to your running back to your your stride pattern um you know back to to, to bringing it back a peg just so you know that the way you're running is nice and efficient and is steady um have you got any little niggles as well i mean that's that's the other thing you tend to forget about is when you go out running it hurts so you just ignore everything and kind of batter through um but when you take it back to its purest its simplest form where you're just going out to sit in zone one taking maybe a bit of the views just to get those muscles out you think oh actually i've got a bit of a twinge in my knee there it, it only feels like it happens when i run slow so you then start running faster again but it might be something you need to address, you know, and, and kit again, this is the time to do it now yeah. rather than to get dragged into the, the big kicking and screaming, sitting in zone two for most of the time um, and then getting back and saying, oh, I felt that was a bit harder than, yeah. it, than it needed to and be. And it, it does, you know, it does, it, it does, uh, it does want to be something that people feel happy with what they're doing. Nobody feels that you want to go slow, but the relative difference between being in zone one and being in zone two is, is not, it's not that much quicker, but you don't really get the benefits of it. And that, that's, that's my biggest, um, uh, that's my biggest sort of like, uh, issue with it is that people... Oh, have you got, have you got an issue with that? I mean, yeah. mentioned well, it's just that. because... No, 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 it's just, just because of the, you know, the, the likes of Richard and the many other people that have almost come to the point of being close to God, what do I have to do? And, and sometimes you have to, you know, you have to pick your training mates, but you also have to realize it's not just about being, you know, the hardest, you can just keep going harder. It's, it's, it's nurturing your body, it's keeping it healthy. And then I think the more you train in zone one, actually you deal with stress better, you keep your diet more under control, you just feel good on it. So you feel good on it and you're getting better. Whoa. When did those two things come yeah, together? Surely yeah. you've got to be in purgatory, you've got to be, you know, a uh, uh, an absolute loon to push yourself so hard. And and no you don't, but also um you don't get back anything better by being, you know, the uh, the person who seems to be um working the hardest. Um, you just don't enjoy it and and also to look for your improvements you actually take time to understand the improvements why they've happened but also take a little bit of pride in the fact that you go oh yeah oh, look, that, that's the improvement because that's yep. what I, I used to do this is what I'm doing now and this is the improvement that I've made so at least look for that and <clears throat> give yourself a bit of a pat on the back and uh, a bit of a well, I've done all right there you know I kind of shake shake your own hand as it would be um, and even point it out to someone whether it be a coach or um, you know a friend and go oh, look, you know that's what I was doing last year this is what I weighed last year this is what I'm doing now when I've changed my training program it's, it's working for me you know yeah. and and take your little victories out of that because if you don't take those and you can't pick them out or point them out then no one else is going to do it for you so so when you listen to this go back to the uh, uh, at coach Joe Beer Twitter feed and have a look at some of the things that we've put out today. Um, I got a nice text on Sunday. Um, I posted it. I can't remember what time it was, but it was on Sunday. And um, got a text uh, from this particular person. It said, Regent's Park, 10K, 32 minutes, nine, uh, 32, 39 minutes, 20. Um, new year, new PB. 
Okay, a good start. And I look to look back over, yeah, over 85% of the training is zone one. Um, uh, good recovery, good health, good mindset, all on tick over. Healthy equals fastly. And, and basically this guy's kind of proved to himself that if he does it, um, it, it does get quicker and, it, and, it's, and, it's, you know, and it's enjoyable because finally the results are, they're, they're there and they're there early on and they're because he's just been um, diligent, but, but not, you know, thinking, blimey, we've got him to a PB now, but I don't know whether he's going to last the season. It's actually been a PB, um, which anyone would like. I know he hasn't just totally focused on 10K and we've turned it about face and he's got his peak form in winter it's just that he's running economically he's aerobically absorbing and wants to go back and train therefore he's not got quite so sore muscles and if he's moving economically then you get pretty quick and if that's happening now and it's his pb and we're in the middle of winter then he's bound to go i don't know a minute or so quicker yet again so to go into the 38s and when he's beating his pb whatever anyone's pb is it's always easy for somebody to say oh yeah but you know if i'd have trained i'd have got it better well why didn't you then yeah. PBs are not just, you know, oh, well, now I'm doing some training. But of course, yeah, that's what a coach should do. And that's what anyone should do. If you want to get a PB, then pull your finger out. But don't almost make out that, oh, of course, they were bound to go faster. No, they weren't. And plenty of people um, try and get better, but do it wrong and therefore get worse. But if you can get better and go, wow, I'm not even trying. I'm going faster than before. Okay. So look back. Also check back on um, the uh, the running research, which is a... Again, that, that is a tweet um, uh, at Coach Joe Beer, and that is uh, a tweet on the 13th, which gives the research. Also, uh, Richard Young's heart rate training data is up on the Twitter feed, and that is again on the 13th of January. And that graph that uh, we spoke about, which was um, that was posted today as well, that shows the different sports and the different heart rate zones. So, um, as part of the sort of uh, wrap up, uh, follow. Uh, on the Twitter at Coach Joe Beer, that's different insider news, research stuff like that. Give us your ratings and stuff. It's you know, give us a complete rollicking about what you want to hear or don't want to hear. But also, um, we appreciate those at iTunes and the the uh, number of stars you give and the writing you give. Or if people want to do it, you know, and say I haven't got an iTunes account, can I just um, send my question in? Yep, by all means, do it through. Uh, coachjoebeer.com and click on the contact link which is um, actually at the bottom left of the uh, website it's not too uh, visible you've got to hunt for it it's down the bottom um, and uh, yeah follow at uh, facebook.com slash coachjoebeer plus there is the South Fork which is at South Fork Racing at South Fork Racing for, for um, and we often uh, tweet and co-tweet and retweet and whatever the tweet, stuff is tweety tweet tweety tweet tweet, tweet tweet yeah uh, so thank you uh, once again for your time thank you for the listeners questions and the input that I had from people today about things that they wanted to hear about and there we are um, episode 142 did we say or three Three, hundred forty-three. Wow. There we go. Yeah. Rattling through them now. Rattling through them. January twenty sixteen. Next one will be uh, probably not for a few weeks yet. We'll see how we go. Might be snow on the ground. You never know. You never know. We can still do this though. It's all right. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all digital. Fine. It's all digital. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. fine. Um, so send us your questions. We really appreciate your downloads, your feedback, and um, most of all, as we say uh, every time. Thank you for listening, but uh, train smart. And have fun. That's the thing, Martin. Boom.